Luke chapter 2, verses 1 through 20. Luke chapter 2, verses 1 through 3. I've said this before, and I will continue to say it, because it's, I, I, and I mean it every time that I do say it. I love the holiday season, and Christmas is without doubt my favorite time of the year. I love the hymns we sing during this time of year. I love the Christmas movies. Like it's the only time, I, I mean, Hallmark movies are absolutely ridiculous, but uh, something about the Christmas ones just, just make us happy, don't they? I love, I love Christmas movies, and per, uh, perhaps greatest of all, the holiday-flavored coffee. It's a gift, unlike any other. It's a great time. Of the year, and 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 every family has its own type of Christmas traditions. Some families celebrate differently than others. My family has its own traditions, and I'm sure sure your family has its own traditions as well. And when Sydney and I get married, we will of course formulate our own Christmas traditions, and we're excited for for that. But for many of us, this year's Christmas is going to be a little bit different. The reason I say that is because here, here at East Gordon, we've, we've just had so many of our families going through various situations of, of difficulty, much of it, not all of it, but much of it in relation to health-related concerns and health issues. We have some precious members of our church right now going through situations and you're, who are just, just, just hurting right now and it's and it's hard to to see that and, and and it's happening during the holiday season as well and that just in many ways just makes it feel uh, all all the more worse in that in that respect and and believe me i know i know what it what it's like because it's not I, it, it's going on in my family as as well as you know earlier this year my family lost a loved one that was so so very precious to us my my great aunt uh, Betty Jo Fountain, whom I, I loved and was was absolutely amazing. And uh, the Christmas tradition in our family was on every Christmas Eve, on Christmas Eve night, we would all, all the all the extended family, uh, family from North Georgia, family from Florida, would all come back together in Mount Vernon, because that's where much of like the older generation of my family is. That's where we all kind of started was in Mount Vernon. And we would all gather there in the old house of, of the, the, the sister's house is what we, what we call it, or the fountain house is what we, what we call it. And would all gather together there and celebrate Christmas with finger foods and, and just and exchanging gifts. And we just had a great time with one another. Well, this year that's not going to be happening because of various relatives with medical issues as well as, as uh, the passing of, of loved ones. So we have had a, it's just hard this Christmas and not only that, but uh, it's not just in my family, but there's situations going on in Sydney's family as well. As you, as we've said, or as she has said, or her, her mother's eyesight, she's having some very major issues with her eyesight. So her family's Christmas is going to look very different this year as, as well. So many of us are going through just rough times in this moment. 
And in the midst of it, we, in, in the midst of despair, or in the, in, the, in the midst of just overwhelmment, many of us could fall into the temptation of just wanting to give up. I want it all to end. I want, I, I just want to lay over and let it all happen because I just can't be in these situations anymore. I just can't deal with it anymore. I just want to give up. But here's, here's the thing. God has given us the gift of the church for more than one reason. And part of the reason that God has given us the church is that we operate as a fellowship, as a body, so that whenever an individual member of our church family is going through something, the rest of the members are there in prayer for that situation, whatever it may be. Not only that, but we want to help. We want to check on people. We want to make sure that people are doing okay. We want to be there to be a helping hand in all of those various situations, because whenever a member of the body hurts the whole body feels it that's one of the amazing gifts of church that we're here to lift one another's spirits here to encourage one another and we as the church body of East Gordon say praise God for the gift of the church now this morning the season of Advent brings us to the week of joy a week of joy, as we're go as many of us are going through difficult times and, and with broken hearts and with grief and, and however you want to look at it, look at it, or however your experience with it is at this moment. And yet we come to this season and a season where we celebrate joy. And many of us, myself included, need to be reminded of this amazing biblical truth, the gift of joy. So let's listen well. And let us consider what, our, what the Word of God tells us this morning about joy. Luke chapter 2, verses 1 through 20. In those days, a decree went out from Caesar Augustus that all the world should be registered. This was the first registration when Quirinius was governor of Syria. And all went to be registered, each to his own town. And Joseph also went up from Galilee, from the town of Nazareth, to Judea, to the city of David, which is called Bethlehem, because he was the house, of the house and lineage of David. To be registered with Mary, his betrothed, who was with child. And while they were there, the time came for her to give birth. And she gave birth to her firstborn son and wrapped, in it, wrapped him in swaddling clothes and laid him in a manger because there was no place for them in the inn. And in the same region, there were shepherds out in the field keeping watch over their flock by night. And an angel of the Lord appeared to them and the glory of the Lord shone around them and they were filled with great fear. Angels said to them, Fear not, for behold, I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all the people. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior who is Christ the Lord. And this will be a sign for you. You will find a baby wrapped in swaddling cloths and lying in a manger. And suddenly there was with the angel a multitude of the heavenly hosts praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest, 
and on earth peace among those with whom he is pleased. When the angels went, out, went away from them into heaven, the shepherds said to one another, Let us go over to Bethlehem and see this thing that has happened, which the Lord has made known to us. And they went away with haste and found Mary and Joseph and the baby lying in a manger. And when they saw it, they made known the saying that had been told them concerning this child. And all who heard it wondered at what the shepherds told them. But Mary treasured up all these things, pondering them in her heart. And the shepherds returned, glorifying and praising God for all they had heard and seen as it had been told them. And praise God, sola dea gloria, for the reading of his word today. So as we have said uh, previously, each week of Advent represents something different. The first week of Advent represents hope. It, it, it turns our attention to the prophecies of the Old Testament, that Jesus at the, his, at the birth of Christ, we see the Old Testament prophecies foretelling these events. We see them fulfilled. We see hope realized. We see that our hope in God is not wishful thinking, but instead it is a assured reality. And then we see that it has come to pass. Not only that, but it points our attention forward as well. We look forward to the eventual return of Christ. We had the week of peace last week. We see that because of Jesus being truly God and being truly man, he is the perfect sacrifice for our sins. And so he lays down his life on our behalf and he's raised up, he's resurrected from the dead. And because of what Jesus has done, no longer are we enemies of God. We now have peace with God as we are called by Christ into faith and repentance. And now this morning we come to the week of joy. And because of what Jesus has done on our behalf, we have a joy which can never be taken away from us because it is bigger and greater and grander than anything that this life can throw at us. That, of course, does not mean that the Christian life is a life that is without difficulty. But what it does mean is that we have a joy which can never be robbed from us. Even in the midst of tremendous pain. And that story of joy begins with a decree which went out from Caesar Augustus. I love growing up at Heritage, and I see now that the tradition has continued. The tradition was that in third grade, uh, you would memorize Luke chapter 1, verses 1 through 20. We did we spent a whole uh, several uh, months memorizing it. I mean, imagine that third graders remember memorizing twenty verses is an amazing thing. And I did that when I was a student. And and recently, this past uh, a, a few weeks ago, Heritage had their big uh, Christmas celebration, and I saw the third graders get brought out and they uh, recited the same passage as well. It's a familiar passage. But going into it, Caesar Augustus was the emperor of Rome from about 31 B.C. to around A.D. 14. 
And something which was very common during the day was for a census to be taken. And that's what we see happening in our passage this morning, the events of a census. The census was done for the purpose of the emperor, for the Roman government, to gain an idea of how many citizens the Roman Empire had. It's gained an understanding of how populated the empire actually was. Not only that, it was also for the purposes of taxing its citizens. So they used the census in order to gain the information that they needed in order to tax their citizens. Now the way it worked was that a census was conducted every 14 years. And that's what we see taking place in this story. And every, every time a census was done, everyone had to go back to their hometown. They had to go back to where they were from. They might be living somewhere else now, but that didn't matter because when the census was done, they had to go back to their hometown. And when I say hometown, I don't mean, uh, for example, the place that you are living right now, perhaps the place that you're born, perhaps the place that you're raised in. That's not what it was talking about when it meant the hometown. It was actually talking about the ancestral home of your family. So for example, I am from this area. I'm specifically Montgomery County, specifically uh, Long Pond is where I was raised and, and all that, where I grew up and all that stuff. But that's not where my ancestral home is. My family, specifically the MacArthur family, comes from Argyle, Scotland. So if this census, if a picture of the scene, if this census were to be done today, that's where I would have to go because that's where my family comes from. Now in the case of Mary and Joseph, they were of the line of David. And so they had to go back to the city of David, which was the city of Bethlehem. And remember, at this time, Mary and Joseph were uh, living in Nazareth, and now, in, in, now the distance between Nazareth and Bethlehem was roughly 70 miles. 70 miles of mountainous terrain. And Mary's pregnant. It probably would have taken them four days to make this journey. And Mary is pregnant in the midst of this journey. Now, can you even imagine the, the sheer difficulty that she, just uh, Joseph as well, but my goodness, Mary, can you imagine the sheer difficulty that Mary herself just had to endure on this four-day, probably four-day journey? It's absolutely unbelievable what she endured. And, but, not, but I want to tell you something about this as well. It was not by chance that these events took place in the way that they did. It was not mere coincidence. It was not mere coincidence that Mary, as they made the journey to Bethlehem, was pregnant during, this, uh, during the events of this story. It's not coincidence that these things just lined up in the way that they did, but rather it was all part of God's sovereign 
plan. It was by God's design. You know, we even in our own lives, we often think that our lives are, are left up to us, that we're the ones in charge, that we're the ones who are in control, we're in the ones in the driver's seat, so to speak, that it's our choices, our decisions, and perhaps, we, perhaps in a certain sense, we even drive a certain level of comfort from trying to, uh, from trying to believe that, but, but church, understand this. We, when you read the Bible, there is a truth which becomes abundantly clear. And it's that, it's, it, that it is God who is on the throne. And that it's not us. And when you look at that, you see that the, that the details of life are ultimately occurring in the way that they are according to the will of God. From the largest world events to the very smallest of details of everyday life. Everything is under the sovereign authority of God. Including the fact that there was a pregnant woman traveling from Nazareth to Bethlehem to give birth to the Messiah. I want you to turn with me. Well, it's going to be on the screen. I'm, I'm going to read to you Micah chapter 5, verses 1 through 5. Micah chapter 5. Verses 1 through 5, it says, Now muster your troops, O daughters of troops. Siege is laid against us with a rod. They strike the judge of Israel on the cheek. But you, O Bethlehem, Ephrath, who are too little to be among the clans of Judah, from you shall come forth for me one who is to be ruler in Israel, whose coming forth is from of old, from ancient days. Therefore he shall give them up until this time when she who is in labor has given birth. Then the rest of his brothers shall return to, to the people of Israel, and he shall stand and shepherd his flock in the strength of the Lord, in the majesty of the name of the Lord his God. And they shall dwell secure, for now he shall be great to the ends of the earth, and he shall be their peace. When the Assyrians come into our land and tread and treads in our palaces, then we will raise against him seven shepherds and eight princes of men. So you see... The events of Mary and Joseph traveling to Bethlehem, it's not by chance that all of that occurred. It was fulfillment of Old Testament prophecy. And how amazing is that? How amazing is it that in the story of the birth of Christ, we see the full narrative of the Bible being connected. That in the Bible, you don't see a bunch of chopped up stories all happening and all, all different and all that kind of stuff. But rather, when you read the Bible, you see one story being told. And it's the story of Christ. It's the story of redemption. So, Mary and Joseph, they arrive in Bethlehem along with everyone else who is of the line of David. Because it wasn't just them, it was everyone else who was of the line of David as, as well. Now here's the thing about it. Being of the line of David of, at that time was not particularly that big of a deal. You know why? Because David had roughly 20 kids. And they all had children as, as well. And then you have Solomon... Solomon, we don't, here's the thing, we don't actually know how many children Solomon had. 
But what we do know is that he had 700 wives and 300 concubines. Suffice it to say, he probably had a lot of kids too. So being of the line of David was not a rare thing at all. But here's the thing. The decree went, goes out from Rome, from Caesar Augustus, that all the world's about to, about to be, a census is about to be take, to take place. They have to go back to their homes, to their ancestral homes to be registered. So do you know what that means when Mary and Joseph arrived there? There was a whole bunch of people there. The place was packed. It was worse than Walmart on a Saturday in December. It, it was, I mean, it was so much, many people there. So what happens? They get there. There, there isn't any room left for them. And, and the story, the, the kind of traditional hallmarky kind of Disney story is that Joseph arrives there and he talks to the innkeeper. He's like, "Look, I, I got my wife here. Uh, she's pregnant. How? Uh, what, like, what do we need to do?" And the innkeeper's like, "Hey, I don't got any room for you." That's somewhat of a traditional kind of popularized story. We don't actually know how that conversation went. We don't really know any of those details. All we know is that there was not any room for them. And when Christ was born, when the Messiah was born, when Christ the Savior was born, he was given lodging in whatever was left. That's all we know. Just picture, just, just focus on that for a minute. He's the king of everything. He's the creator of everything you see. And when he enters his creation... The welcome party was what was was what was whatever was left. Not a place of dignity, not a place of prominence. Whatever the leftovers is what he was given. How humble do you see that? Behold the humble obedience of the Son before the Father on our behalf. Now, while the birth of Christ was in large part ignored by the by the by the uh, citizenry by the by the the surrounding people there was one group of people which were invited to the to celebrate the birth of Christ look at verses 8 through 14 of our passage <clears throat> and in the same region there were shepherds out in the field keeping watch over their flock by night and an angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were filled with great fear. And the angel said to them, Fear not, for behold, I bring you good news, a great joy that will be for all people. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior, who is Christ the Lord. This will be a sign for you. You will find a baby wrapped in swaddling cloths and lying in a manger. And suddenly... There was with the angel a multitude of the heavenly host praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest and on earth peace among those with whom he is pleased. Shepherds. Shepherds were the ones that were invited to celebrate the birth of the Savior. Now here's the thing. Why, why it, have you ever wondered why it was shepherds? As shepherds, if you don't know, were not particularly popular in society. 
You know why they were not popular? Because they spent all day with sheep. And they slept in the same area as sheep. They spent their lives centered and caring for these animals. And the resulting factor is that they smelled like sheep. And in the ancient world, it, that wasn't something, it was looked down upon. If you were a shepherd, you were looked down immediately thought less of because you spent your basically the entirety of your day taking care of, of animals. It was, oft, it was looked down upon. But they were the ones whom the Lord invited. And it, and it almost put, gives us a picture. It almost gives us the picture that, that Christ, at the presence of Christ, there is welcome the richest people and the poorest people, the oldest people and the youngest people, whatever nationality you may be, all are welcome through repentance and faith before the presence of Christ. But there's also another, uh, there's also something else that's important about these shepherds. There was actually something special about these specific shepherds. The, the shepherds, of this region had the responsibility of taking care of the sheep which were used in the temple sacrifices. So what do you see happening here? The Lamb of God has been born and God invites the shepherds to tend him. In doing so, it brings, us to, mi it brings to mind to us that this baby boy was born for the express purpose of dying on our behalf. That he was here to lay down his life. He was here to sacrifice himself for us. And in doing so, we are raised to walk in the newness of life. Now with the time which we have left, I, I want us to focus in on the message from the angel who invited the shepherds to behold Christ. The angel proclaims to the shepherds um, who were uh, who were tending to their who were tending to their sheep. He he proclaims to them that I have a message of of good news and great joy. I have a message of joy to proclaim to you. Now in Philippians we have spent we've been uh, and. We have done this and we will continue to do this, spend a lot of time talking about the gift of, of joy. And perhaps to better understand that, we need to understand what joy is, is not. Our world tells us that in order to have joy or, or, or in order to be happy, in order to be satisfied, we have to accumulate the certain right Things. We have to accumulate a certain type of lifestyle. We have to have certain type of products. We have to have the right vehicle. We have to have the right house. We have to have the right type of family and all that which entails. To put it simply, the message of our world is that you can solve your life's problems by just making the right purchase. That's what we see today. And I've, as I've said before, while there is nothing inherently wrong with wanting to have nice things, or wanting to, and there's nothing wrong with that, and the point that, that we as Christians need to understand is that having uh, that, that type of lifestyle is not going to give us what our hearts are longing for, what our hearts are in 
need of. In fact, the entirety of our life's circumstances, be they good, be they bad, be they difficult, be they easy, be they whatever, be it, uh, 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 be it a time of profit, be it a time of loss, whatever the situation of our lives may be, that should have zero bearing on our joy. But oftentimes we live as though it does. And in doing so, we live dissatisfied and unhappy lives because we set the attention of our hearts upon our life's circumstances. Now, as long as we have good circumstances, we don't have anything to complain about. But the moment that something goes wrong or something goes south or something goes negative or what, what goes the wrong way or whatever it is, we act as though joy was a foreign concept to us. And that's just no way for a Christian to live. So the question remains, what, where is true joy found? The simplest answer which I can give to you, which I can offer to you in relation to that question is this. True joy comes from loving God. Think of it for a moment with me. Think back to the narrative of Genesis. In the Garden of Eden, we had everything. In the Garden of Eden, we were there, and the world was beautiful. All was right in the world. We were there in the immediate presence of God, and we were celebrating, and we were uh, being a reflection of God's character. It was a time of absolute prosperity. And then the next thing you see is that one who was called a liar from the beginning slithered his way into our path. And he began to whisper lies into our ears. He told us that God was holding back on us, that God was holding out on us, and that he could show us so much more and give us what our hearts desired and all we had to do was eat of that forbidden tree we listened to him so we ate but instead of getting everything we only got misery instead a curse fell on us all making us enemies of God and within the next few chapters of Genesis, what do you see? You see brother and brother against one another. You see jealousy becoming a major problem. You see arrogance becoming a major problem. And as you continue to read, you see nations at war with each other. You see slaughtering. You see death. You see disease. You see uh, empires rising and empires falling. You see uh, constant conflict taking place. And you see perversities uh, uh, being unfolded, uh, uh, taking place and that are coming out from our hearts. And it always ends in the same way. It always ends in death. But this fallen world was not what we were created for. So God in his divine and sovereign grace ordered the events of human history so that we could receive the gift of the Messiah, the gift of the Savior so that we could now worship him as we did in the Garden of Eden. 
through Christ we are made new. And we joyfully know the Lord. The lo- we joyfully know the love of God. And in our loving of God, our joy shines forth with a blazing fire. And no circumstances of life can ever change that. No circumstances of life can ever take that away from us. Now, church, hear me when I say this because we need to hear this. Even in the midst of our suffering, even in the midst of the various situations that we have going on in each and every one of our individual lives, though they are great, we mourn with one another. Though they are difficult, we support one another. But the truth of the matter is that no problem of our life can ever rob us of our joy if our attention is upon Christ our Savior because ultimately it all belongs beneath the feet of our God and he is using your suffering right now he's using the events of your life right now for a great and grand purpose which we do not fully comprehend so rejoice in that. He is working all things together for good for those who are called according to his purposes. Does that mean that suffering is easy? No, of course not. But what it does mean is that our Savior and our God is in the midst of every detail of our lives. It's no secret that I, that I, love, that I love Charles Spurgeon. I want to read to you a quote from Spurgeon as he talks about the subject of joy in the midst of of suffering. We have it on the screen as well. The day will come, dear friend, when your cheeks all befouled with weeping shall be washed and made fair to look upon. Your eyes may be weary with waiting and watching and red with all weeping, but that weeping shall endure only for a night. For joy cometh in the morning, as surely as the morning cometh after the night. Bear your sorrows bravely, for they are appointed of your heavenly Father in supreme wisdom. Bear them joyfully, for they will bring forth to you the peaceable fruits of righteousness. Be joyful in the midst of suffering. For you can know this and you can know it assuredly that your suffering is not without purpose and God is working in it for His divine plan and His divine will. Rejoice in the workings of God. We'll pray. We'll have our hymn of invitation. Father, it is our prayer that you be with us in the midst of all of our circumstances and situations. Lord, it is our prayer that you move in our hearts in the midst of sorrow and in the midst of grief, that you be in our troubles, that you be in our trials. For we cannot go through these circumstances without you. Lord, it is our prayer. May you bring our hearts to know the true joy of knowing you. May you bring our hearts to know the joy of living for you in each and every moment. Lord, we pray that you turn our hearts in worship. Make us see you for who you are. Make us have us grow 
in our love for you. May our affections grow all the more true, O Lord. And may we see that you have not left us, nor have you abandoned us, but rather you have given us a precious gift. So Lord, we pray that you work in each and every one of our hearts to grow in the precious gift of joy, which is found through loving God. It's all this that we pray in the name of Christ our Savior.